Hello everyone, you are most assuredly welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum podcast. Uh, I'm Paddy. I'm joined by Andy. Say hello Andy. Hello there. And I'm also joined by... Lauren, hello. And today we're talking about one of my favourite topics in folklore ever. We are talking about the curse. Everyone loves a good curse. Uh, everyone as a child, or maybe it was just me, everyone as a teenager gathered with their friends to curse their teacher or to create a magic circle to curse their enemies or make a magic potion. You're looking at me. <laughs> Listeners, they're looking at I, me in bewilderment. I did actually get in trouble in primary school because I used to do this weird, like, imagination game where you'd close your eyes and you'd tap your hands together and you'd lead people down a corridor just in their heads and you'd ask them, well, open that door, what do you see? Like a meditation exercise. Yeah. But I was quite young and some girl in my class told her parents who then complained to the headmaster and they said that somebody was practising witchcraft in the school. Wow. And we weren't allowed to play that game anymore that's a very serious accusation and was it a catholic school no no <laughs> not at all there's a, there are many irish curses obviously the irish language doesn't have that many actual swear words but it has tons of curses oh let you go across yourself is basically the irish version of may you f yourself uh may you die roaring like Dor- doran's ass an ass donkey of course what was it about Doran's ass? Why, why, <laughs> why did it roar so much than all the other asses? I don't know. Maybe very flatulent ass. Maybe the Do- maybe the Dorans were a famously miserly family, and they weren't feeding their donkeys. They just had a hungry ass the whole time. Right? <laughs> oh, hungry ass! Let's not go down that. Road. <laughs> <laughs> May you never have a heart to call your own. May even the guinea fowl cry out at your child's birth. Do we have guinea fowl here? We have guinea fowl in Ireland, apparently. Apparently, guinea fowl were considered to be incredibly bad luck They're if they cried. They're very stupid, stupid birds. They have tiny heads, tiny oh, little brains. Wow. I didn't know that guinea fowl was a bird until you said it was a bird yeah. just now. Because I was thinking guinea pigs and fowl as in... Oh no, fowls are chickens. Why did I... Fowl! That was why I was thinking horses. That's That's my accent. Um, yeah, tons of them when me and Nisha were in South Africa. Yeah. Everywhere. It's not your accent, by the way. It's it's just my distinct ignorance around uh, around animals. <laughs> you stop listening to me years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Bad cestios uh, is the probably the one you oh, you that, hear most common. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the classic it's one. The hit single. It's the smells like teen spirit of curses. Yeah. Yeah. May you marry in haste and repent at leisure, which is a What's good one. What's repent at leisure? It means that you marry, let's say you married your partner very quickly, but you had a very long time to realize that the marriage was terrible. In other words, you had a very long, very unhappy marriage. May you marry a wench that blows uh, wind like a stone from a sling. Would, Would that be all bad? That could be practical sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> need to dry the clothes a, on the line yeah having a wench with great lung power what's what's so wrong about think, that I don't think it means their lungs <laughs> oh, okay. oh yeah I see I it means like flatulence I just, yeah alright uh, well uh, James Joyce he'd love that oh that's true yeah, yeah. go on Andy tell them about <laughs> um, this came up in the work whatsapp group just last night for some reason um, that uh, James Joyce Famously wrote these filthy letters to his significant other, Nora, 
uh, it, no, Nora's the, like the fictionalized version, isn't she? Oh, I have no idea no. who his wife is. No, I think he called it, Nora. It is, yeah. okay, no, no, Nora, the, yeah, Nora Barnacle, yeah. If she, the biopic is anything to go by. Sure, um, and so, yeah, he, he used to write her these filthy letters uh, and uh, talk about how much he loved her farts and like the big rumbly ones and stuff like that, so, yeah. It is, yeah. I, it must be some fetish because there was... As I mentioned in the group chat as well, a professional fartist in that performed in the Moulin Rouge in Paris. And if anyone knows the actor Leonard Rossiter from The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin, he starred in a little short film all about this professional fartist or flatuist mm. that performed and to huge, mm. huge crowds. Well, I suppose just at that time, think of how taboo it would have been. A lady farting, you know, in like the the <laughs> ultimate taboo at that stage. So the curse may your wench may you marry a wench that blows wind like a stone from a sling might actually be a blessing to some people. I get, which brings it's me back to my original choice. point: Would it be such a bad thing? Would it be such a bad thing? <laughs> Not great for global warming. That is true. Yeah. These wenches were they would be the cows yeah. of, of their day. Out in the field, chewing their grass. <laughs> On the on on the word wench, what at what point is a woman a wench? When does she stop being a young miss? Or a, mm. <laughs> you should have seen what the producer just <laughs> did with her bosoms. <laughs> was there was there a class connotation to wench? Because you you know you always seem to hear about like a tavern wench. Um, okay. You know you you never hear about a well-to-do wench. Right, uh, right. Maybe, yeah, maybe a work. Well endowed. When a woman yeah. started to work, she became a wench. Right. Yeah, maybe. Right, yeah. Maybe. Um, oh, let's go to the the question box. It mm-hmm. is a box of magic. Ooh. Ooh. Nice to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so some of the questions that have come in to us, by the way, you can tweet in questions to us at Leprechaun Museum. By all means, ask us anything. I am an open book. <laughs> we are an open That's going to backfire. <laughs> just ask Paddy anything. So Paddy, yeah. <laughs> just tell me about yourself. <laughs> all sorts of really inappropriate questions about your life fired yeah. at you via Twitter. But there was that time Mark told people on Twitter that I invented toaster bags. <laughs> And the fridge magnet. Thank you. I use those toaster bags out in the staff room every day. I've, I did. Th- I've dreamed of this day. Bag, Andy. And we oh. actually got people going. Really, he invented the fridge magnet. How old do they think you are? How old does Mark think I am? He's always telling me I'm ancient. Okay. Some some of the questions. Some of the questions. Can leprechauns curse people? What do we think? Can leprechauns curse people? Oh, I would think so, yeah. I mean, particularly Bardaric, the, the most yeah. ruthless of all the leprechauns. I can't think of a specific instance in mind, um, but I feel like I feel like somewhere down the line, the leprechaun must have cursed somebody. I think leprechaun wishes became curses, in mm. the sense that leprechaun wishes always backfired. Yeah. From, even from the very first leprechaun story, the, the wish that Fergus MacLady makes backfires on him and any wish that you you make with a leprechaun tends to backfire so becoming a, a, your wish your fondest desire becomes your your greatest curse i had a child in the gift shop earlier and um, buying one of our wishing jars where you write your wish on the scroll and put it in the jar and mm. she asked how many wishes she could put in the jar i told her well just the one you have one scroll she's like well can i not put more in and 
I did advise her that if you ever try and trick wishes like genies mm. or leprechauns, it's always going to backfire. She'll end up not having any wishes at all. Definitely. What, how did the um, wish backfire for Fergus McLeaty? Because um, from what I know of the story, doesn't a leprechaun give him some kind of ability to go down to the sea and fight that sea monster that, that bent his neck? Uh, well you see in the original they told him not to go to the sea monster right, well they told yeah. him not to go to the to Loch Ruriga or Dundrum Bay as it is today okay they told him uh, we'll give you these magic shoes and the ability to go underwater anywhere in the world just Except, don't right. just don't go here yeah. and being an Irish king what does he do of course he goes there yeah yeah. Uh, the wish backfired because the leprechauns knew that if they told him it's like a very early example of reverse psychology <laughs> they, they told him not to go there knowing that he would go there I think most geshes seem to be like that as well That this was a question that I wanted to put to the podcast here are geshes curses because when a gesh you know gets put out there just in and of itself it doesn't yeah. seem like inherently malicious but it always seems to end up uh, you know, at best uh, a terrible inconvenience and at worst a fatal, fatal tragedy. Well, some are particularly malicious, like in the case yeah. of Dermot, who was had a gesh on him that he would be killed by a boar. Yeah, that's a pretty vicious gesh, yeah. all right. But then the likes of, like, what were the ones that, that Cucullin put on his, put on Conla, his, his son? That, that, like, uh, that you're to never will, back down. So, never back down. If anyone asks for your name, Mm. Uh, you're not allowed to tell them so mm. when Conla arrives on the beach after his training with Skahuk who Colin uh, asks him what is his name but he's under gash not to tell anyone his name Yeah. so he can't tell Cucullin by the way I'm your son mm. Mm. Uh, which seeing that most culturally most uh, gashes were self-enforced it wasn't like the, the universe went out of its way to align uh, in, in a certain way to make these things come true. It's that they were self-enforced for a lot. For a lot. Mm. And history is full of the examples where the Gasha worked out. But how many were there that didn't? You know, because it's more interesting, if you say, to in the destruction of that Darga's hostel, that you must not kill the crooked beast of Cairna. It's more interesting if the king then does go and yeah. kill. Yeah. And what happens to him afterwards? Although in the case of Cucullin and his son, and his son, just absolutely heartbreaking because yeah. does he end up killing his own son? He, he does. He his does. Own son. Oh. And then he sees that ring. So geshes are are simply just an elaborate series of I told you so's. They occupy that strange ground between prophecy and curse, right? Yeah, and prediction. Yeah. Now, I did read earlier as well that perhaps the geshes that were placed on kings, it might have been to do more with just things to do with the crops and the rights and making sure that that their tribe or their people were were fed and looked after. So there was just certain things that just were not clever or smart to do for the protection of the people. But then they became geshes over time. There was one uh, gesha that was the king must not spend more than four nights away from Tara. And that's very practical. Because if the king spends more than four nights away from Tara, it's showing favoritism to a certain family in the kingdom. Mm. And then all of the other families are put out. They think uh, this is their favorite now. This is the king's favorite and we're being overlooked. 
Let's go to war, boys. Or the king of Amania was forbidden when alone to attack a wild boar in its den, which is, again, just practical because yeah. he'll be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, the king of Ireland was forbidden to let the sun uh, rise, catch him lying in his when he was lying in his bed yeah. in Tara, which maybe was just to make sure he got up and did his job every day instead of lying yeah. in bed. That's, well, as well, before, like, candles and light there was you had to make the most of the day because mm. you no light at night to do anything um, some helpful rules to live by and then others just mean and by the way listeners there is no translation for the word gasha so we can't tell you what mm. uh, what it means exactly because it's one of those irish words that doesn't really have a complete meaning it's like a to bind someone to do something like a, it can be a spell or just a prediction. It, it has numerous different meanings. Uh, next question. Uh, why was the Morrigan always cursing people? What's with that? I mean, so the Morrigan was a war goddess, yes. right? She often took the form of a crow. I feel like both of those things would generally mean that you weren't in the best humor most of the time. <laughs> It's kind, yeah. It's kind of part of your whole. It's part of my deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's what I do. Although I'd love to be a bird part of the time and fly yeah. around. Mm. Yeah. But she's an Ulster goddess, and Ulster had a lot of war goddesses because they were at war an awful lot. Mm. The soil in Ulster is of a different quality to the soil in uh, Leinster and Connacht. So they needed to make war a lot. They needed to be quite a brutal people with all these curses binding people to do things. Uh, how do you get rid of a curse? How do you get rid of a curse? So, yeah, we were talking about this briefly before uh, we came on air. And <laughs> uh, the things that sprung to my mind were all the old folksy things of like throwing salt over your shoulder and walking backwards under a ladder and stuff like that. I remember, so I, like a number of people in the museum, I come from the theatre background. And I remember saying the words... Uh, Macbeth, oh, the, the Scottish, the play. Scottish play, play, yes, that you are never supposed to mention. Mm. Uh, I said this in a theatre in front of a sort of an old West End director. Uh, his name's Kevin Robinson. Uh, God, God rest him. He's uh, no longer with us. But when I said he had a heart attack as soon as I said this, no, uh, no, as soon as I said Macbeth, he just. Um, went into kind of a spasm of those all the old superstitions that are yeah. supposed to reverse a curse he threw some salt over his shoulder he turned round seven times or whatever yeah. it was you know do yeah. you know where it comes from the Scottish play did somebody die while doing the role or something like that that's right. the urban legend but where it actually comes from the uh, if your play was doing very badly mm. right let's say nobody was coming to it nobody was enjoying it it was getting horrible reviews Every, everyone had a couple of Shakespearean plays in their background that they could put on at short notice. Right. So if your play was doing very badly and you weren't making any money, you put on Macbeth because you knew it would draw a crowd. There's a lot of murder in it. Yeah. And so over the over the years, this turns into the idea that Macbeth is bad luck. It's essentially the death knell of that other play yeah. that you're trying to put on. Right, yeah. right. Although essentially good luck if it's bringing in all the crowds and saving your company if you want to make money man what about the artistic integrity of trying to put on a new play what about the break a leg superstition where does that come from not familiar where does the phrase even come? so i think there is an apocryphal version that if back in the day when people really wanted to show their appreciation uh for a play and when when clapping wasn't enough and a standing ovation wasn't enough they would then pick up their chairs 
and start banging them off the ground in appreciation. Mm-hmm. And that, so then obviously the best possible reaction you could get was where people were banging their chairs off the, off the ground to the point where one of the legs actually broke off. Mm-hmm. And that's why before you go out on stage, you would say break a leg. Never that is a good luck. Yeah, well, apparently it is bad luck to say mm-hmm. good luck. Um, yeah. Also, uh, that is almost certainly an apocryphal uh, so thing they, about they, the, they the breaking of the leg. Break the leg of a chair. Break the leg of a chair. Oh, break the leg. Well, yeah. But that's not true. <laughs> this was, this was <laughs> a kind of, of yeah, one of those folksy tales that went around and I think it has no actual uh, <laughs> historical basis, but it's a, it's a funny little story. But with the back to the, the trying to get rid of a gash, mm. do you think the salt and stuff would work or was that more just general bad luck superstition mm, yeah i mean i don't know I, you don't really hear that much in in myths do you i mean the, those are those are literally old wives tales i think the, uh, like sometimes the, the, the pwishog is, is, is in, in irish the mm. pwishog is literally the irish word for superstition mm. but it also means those those type of spells that were would have been very popular in early 20th century ireland that kind of merged Christianity and mythology together. Yeah, sure. So when one one of the ones was that if you saw uh, a magpie on its own, which is one for sorrow, mm. two, for two for joy, and three for a girl, and four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret never to be told. If you saw one magpie on its own, the Pwishog to to counter this, was to spin around in a circle three times and say a Hail Mary. So you have the number three famously import across many religions and you have the Hail Mary bringing you a bit of good luck in there as well. My friend salutes magpies. Mm. Oh, I never yeah. heard that one. Yeah, she said if you salute a lone magpie, then it won't bring you bad luck. I remember that now. Like walking down through Kerry. We have a lot of magpies in Kerry. And because of the way the magpies nest, the uh, one always stays in the nest and the other goes out so they tend to be quite on their own mm. more than together if you see two magpies out together then they're not related <laughs> they're <laughs> and they're not flocking together they just happen to be in the same place at the same time they all escaped from a giant pie somewhere you don't know that story i do yet. know the story <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was a great image. <laughs> what, four and twenty blackbirds? Oh, it was. It wasn't magpies. Oh, no, it was blackbirds. Pick them up in the pie. It's in that Rod Stewart song. <laughs> I yeah. can't believe you're such a right Rod Stewart song. <laughs> <laughs> but the geshes generally, you couldn't escape them because if you tried no, to at all, no, it would backfire. They were, they were mm. stamped on you. They were, li- you were They literally bound you mm. for the rest of your life. You'd be told you're a gesha as well. So that you, as I say, personally enforce it for the rest of your life. Do you like children is a question that has been put in the question box. And I kind of know why we get asked this. Uh, Do you know where I'm going with this, Lauren? Children are lovely. They're lovely when they're lovely to us. Um, Yeah, I like kids as long as they're not chatting the whole Uh, way through my story. What tends to happen to children in Irish storytelling? Oh, they're stolen away by the fairies, brought down under the fairy hill. Bad things. Exclusively bad things. <laughs> I can't think of a single Irish story where a good thing happens to a child. Mm-hmm. No. The lad of the goat skins is the closest thing, and even he has to go through a serious battling with giants and everything. I suppose because, like, 
I mean, so many of these would have served the function of cautionary tales, wouldn't they? Where it's just like, listen, young fella, you'd want to watch yourself out there, and here's why. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which is just Toughen these kids up. General good advice for children everywhere. The, yeah. The, um, I had people from Germany on my tour who told me about the Nachtkrapp, which was a night raven that it was they were would warn children to be home on time because if they weren't, then the Nachtkrapp would pick them up and it would carry them home in its exposed chest ca- uh, cavity or rib cage and then devour them in its nest, mm-hmm. which is a really good way to scare kids into being home on time and not wandering around in the dark. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you can sense, listeners, why we get asked if we like children. We uh, didn't make the stories. <laughs> no, that's true, but we enjoy telling them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is the most vicious curse in the, in the stories? I from with me the, the the curse of Maka really does stand out particularly particularly speaking as a male you know a, a group of big strong men experiencing that you know that the level of pain that you just don't think you will ever have to go through in your entire existence okay. you know dial it back for the listeners <laughs> uh so the curse of maca whenever i imagine this story like if i imagine sort of a cinematic version of it i i always like to imagine it kind of like the way a film like fight club starts where it starts at the end i imagine the ulster men suited up ready to do battle against the four other provinces of ireland and just as they're standing there on the front lines in all of their armour, every single man except for Cucullin falls to the ground, clutching their bellies, screaming. And Cucullin leans down and he says, What's the problem, lads? What's the problem? And they say, It feels like... And he says, What? What? It feels like... What? It feels like I'm having a baby! Uh, because this is what the curse of Maka was. The Ulster men were all cursed to experience labor pains uh, in their hour of darkest need. And uh, it all started with a cattle farmer by the name of Crin. Crin was, uh, he lived a simple sort of a life and he had a fine selection of cattle. They were said to produce the best dairy and the best leather. Uh, So he made a fine living selling these cows. He had a lovely wife. And children, and then one day his wife passed away, and Crin took the loss of his wife pretty hard, and he stopped taking care of himself. He st- stopped taking care of stuff around the house, the cows, and the things very much fell into disrepair. Uh, his cows weren't selling for as much as they were because they all came quite became quite malnourished. And then one day, a very beautiful woman rose up from the lake and she found her, her way into Crin's house and just started taking care of the place. She started taking care of the kids, cooking very nice meals. And uh, she simply sat Crin down and explained to him that she would be his new wife from here on in. And Crin was pretty okay with that. Some way to land yourself a husband and a family and a house just... Just stay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm staying here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is, that's mine. That's mine. Uh, <laughs> Imagine if you did that today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, when's the last time somebody tried it? You know, uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of lonely farmers out there. That's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Just waiting for a woman to uh, plonk uh, herself down. And I say, don't. I'm I, staying. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would be all that difficult. 
But um, <laughs> you might meet a, re- a bit of resistance from the kids. That That's all I'm okay. thinking about. But Crane was absolutely fine with it. Apparently the kids were fine with it. And if any female um, listeners are uh, tuning in, Andy would be absolutely fine with it as well if you just want to invite yourself into his home. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> um, so Pay attention to our social media to get his address. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, GDPR guys come on so things start going well again for Crin in his life and the, the cows start um, you know they get back into shape and then it turns out that there's going to be a big festival in Ulster the, the king of Ulster is throwing this big festival he thinks that this is a pretty good networking opportunity and so he tells Maka that he's off to this festival in Ulster with his cows and she says that's absolutely fine just, just one condition don't mention me to anybody just pretend that i don't exist and crin finds this a little bit confusing this is normally the exact opposite of what one's wife would request when you're off away on a business trip um <laughs> but he he go he go he thinks it's a reasonable request and and uh, so he goes off to the festival and he's you know he's he's networking away things seem to be going well and then he wanders up to the horse races and the king's horses are racing against all the other horses from from all around and they're doing extremely well you know they're they're leaving all the other horses for dust and everybody's quite caught up in the spectacle and cream gets very caught up in the spectacle so much so that out of nowhere he just blurts out my wife could run faster than any one of those horses and then everybody just goes silent and the king is a little bit put out by this statement and he immediately follows up on this and he said oh your wife can run faster than my horses can't she and, and, and imagine it as a kind of a good fella's moment yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Joe <laughs> Pesci John, yeah. I amuse you yeah, yeah, <laughs> your yeah. wife can run faster than my horses yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. The balls on this kid, huh? The balls on this kid. Uh, he tries to to backtrack, but it's too late by then. He's he said it, and uh, well, the king just wants he wants to see the rubber meet the road. He wants he wants <laughs> he wants Crin to put his money where his mouth is, and so uh, he has his guards. Head. I, I, it must have been some kind of elaborate prank. Is he just looking at all his friends like the wife is going to run faster than my horses? Yeah. Come on, come and on. first of all. We thought his wife was dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Does I think he's mad? Does everyone think the king is mad? <laughs> uh, like, I don't know if you've met many housewives <laughs> in your time. Oh, in, fa- in fact, the one thing that I left out as well, she was pregnant at oh, this time. Oh, pregnant. Yeah, yeah. But even any normal man or woman running faster than a horse, regardless yeah. of the pregnancy... Totally, totally. And she was pregnant with twins. Mm. Uh, the place Owen Macha uh, is twins of Macha. Mm-hmm. Of course, they obviously knew this at the time, ultrasounds being very advanced <laughs> back then. How <laughs> oh, well do you know? They brought out different herbs and spices and <laughs> rubbed it into the belly. Yeah, I definitely. Two, marks. <laughs> two boys. <laughs> and the twins actually brings us nicely on to the, the conclusion of the story. So the guards bring Macha up to race the horses. And uh, it's quite close. They're they're running like neck and neck for a lot of the time, and like it's a big struggle for Maka because you know she's got that big pregnant belly, as 
as as our as one of our newest storytellers says when he tells this story, the horses have four legs and she only has two. So uh, it's quite a struggle, but she gets there in the end. She puts on this final burst of speed and she passes out the horses. And just as she crosses the finish line, she collapses and gives birth to those two they twins. They wave the right checkered flag. The... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> those two boys standing yeah, with a yeah. rope. Just a pregnant woman yeah. running through. But I genuinely imagine, like, I, I always imagine the crowd, you, you know, just getting really caught up and cheering her on. And then slowly the dawning realisation of this woman lying on the ground giving birth to two twins in the mud. And she had pleaded with them, right? Not That's right. that she knew mm-hmm. this was going to happen, that she was so close yeah. to, to labour. Yeah, she she tried to make a point. Like, I mean, she even tried to bargain to the point of like, can I not race the horses after I've given birth to the twins instead of before? And um, yeah, and, and the king's just like, ah, well, you know, your husband did say so. <laughs> um, We've gone this far with it. Yeah. There's no turning back now. <laughs> Uh, and so in response to this quite, quite harsh treatment that she received from the Ulster men as she lay there with her two twins, cursed the Ulster men and said that uh, in their hour of darkest need, they would suffer the very same pain that she suffered there on the finish line. And as mentioned, Alan Macca, the fort of the king, the fort of the Ulster men is named uh, after that very moment because Alan Macca means the twins of Macca. That is the curse of Macca. The other famous uh, curse uh, in Irish folklore is uh, the curse placed on Mad Sweeney. You may, listeners might be familiar with Mad Sweeney if they watch American God. That's the name of the TV show. Mm-hmm. I don't watch an awful lot of television side. I'm, I'm, or if you read the books. Or if you read the books, that's true. That's true. Mad Sweeney is the name of the leprechaun. We just so happened to be in our leprechaun museum. Would you look at that? Mad Sweeney is the name of the leprechaun in, but he wasn't a leprechaun in uh, Irish folklore. Mad Sweeney was the king of the Dal Riada. And if the Dal Riada, well, if you've never heard that, you might have heard of who the Dal Riada became. Scotland. Yeah, <laughs> the Dal Riada became the Scottish people. So you've probably heard of those. He's Sweeney, or Suvna, as, as it would be in Irish, was married to Erin. Now, Erin is one of the Dalcassians. And if you've never heard of the Dalcassians, you might have heard of who they became. They became the Kennedys, as in John F. Kennedy. Oh, look at those links there. I'm trying to be relevant, Lauren. <laughs> Stop looking at me like that. I'm, I'm genuinely interested. I knew none of these facts. <laughs> and Well, Suvna and Aaron are sitting by their hearth one evening uh, in, their, in their fort, in their wrath, and they're sitting, they're sitting beside the fire when suddenly they hear bells ringing. And Suvna turns to his servants like, where is this bell ringing coming from? I know of no bells in my kingdom. We don't do bells up here. And they say, well, St. Ronan has built a, a church in your kingdom. And the king is a bit flabbergasted. Suvna is flabbergasted that someone had the brass neck, had the cheek, had the, to build a big church in his kingdom without asking the king for permission. So he runs out of the fort. As he's running, this is... <laughs> As he's running, Aaron uh, tries to stop him because she knows that it, once he gets into a rage, nothing good can come of it. She tries to stop him, 
by grabbing his cloak. The cloak falls from him, but he keeps going. At this point, he is leaving his fort, making his way to the church, stark naked. <laughs> he is bollock naked when he throws open the doors of the rudimentary church and starts thrashing the place. <laughs> that is how you make an entrance. No, it does. Like, I never thought it was... I, it would have never occurred to me to run into a church bollock naked. I don't recommend anyone does. But you have to admit, as an image, <laughs> just <laughs> forcing your way into a church stark naked. Demanding be- they stop with the bells. <laughs> stop with the bells. St. Ronan is sitting with his Psalter, which is the book of the Psalms. And you have to imagine Suvna as basically the big jock, the big bully. And St. Ronan there is the kind of the, the spectacle nerd sitting maybe on the steps of the altar, reading from his book. And Suvna grabs the book, takes it outside and throws it into a pond and uh, continues to wreck the place. And he's dragging Suvna, uh, Suvna is dragging Ronan out to kill him because that's that's the way Suvna works. When one of Suvna's servants called to tell him that the Battle of Magrath, the battle with the powers in the north of Ireland, we're going to war with the powers in the south of Ireland. That's all you really need to know about it. And uh, Suvna, of course, has to become battle ready. So still naked, he makes his way to the battle. Meanwhile, an otter has arrived. Of course. Yes, just out of nowhere. An otter has arrived with the Psalter, this tiny little creature, and hands St. Ron on the Psalter. And St. Ronan very poetically uh, curses Suvna. Naked he is now. Let him be naked ever after. May he be filthy with the dirt of the road. May he be like the birds flitting from tree to tree. May he never again be comfortable in his robes. And both St. Ronan and Suvna find themselves at the Battle of Magrath. This is one of those times when the pagans were still around in Ireland and the Christians were around. So before the battle, both the pagans and the Christians turned up to bless the troops. And St. Ronan is going around with the holy water, splashing it on everyone's forehead. And and Suvna thinks that this is just, he's taking the piss out of everybody, speckling so water on it. <laughs> so he, he grabs his two spears. He throws uh, one of the spears at the bishop, driving it straight through him. And he throws the other spear uh, at St. Ronan. You know that scene in movies where the, the gunman fires and the uh, the victim just so happens to have a Bible yeah, yeah, in yeah. their pocket at the time? Well, St. Ronan had, guess what? One of his bells. <laughs> the spear hits the bell, breaking it. And St. Ronan it goes, just goes blue in the face with rage. And he says, May the sound of a bell, may the sound of chaos and battle and frenzy forever drive you away from your comfort. May you forever flit from tree to tree, uh, confused. And sure enough, it happens. Suvna is driven mad by the chaos of the battle and leaving still naked, uh, leaving still naked and dirty, begins to flit from tree to tree in the, in the forest. Today in Ireland, about... 10% of the country is forested, but you're talking about, at this stage in our history, about 70%. Very few pasture lands, uh, very poor pasture lands, which is why they were always fighting over them. 
And so you have to imagine this kind of forest of mystery, this kind of forest of magic, this green cathedral of light and green colour. Beautiful. And Suvna is flitting from tree to tree. He goes all over the Irish countryside, up and down, crosses to Scotland and Wales. He can find peace nowhere. He is obviously not grooming himself or caring for himself. His hair grows long, his beard grows long, his nails are growing long. Eventually, he finds another saint, Saint Mooling, who takes pity on him in Derry and settles settles down there as much as he can. Now, in the settlement of, of Saint Mooling, there is uh, a man and a wife. They can't actually live in the settlement because uh, the man is incredibly jealous and he tends to abuse uh, his wife. So they live outside the settlement so that the, so that the husband doesn't get jealous. And uh, Saint Mooling goes to this uh, woman and, she's, and he says, we can't bring rain Suvni in, we can't bring him close to us. He's too frightened of company and any bit of crowds will just send him mad and out into the trees. Uh, singing like the birds. Maybe Saint Mooling proposes if you dig a hole in a cow pat. You, you heard me right. If you dig a hole in a cow pat, and you pour some milk into it, mm-hmm. he he will drink chocolate uh, mousse. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I was just picturing the cocoa yeah. pops advert. Oh, no. Milk turns chocolatey. Oh no. Uh, he uh, won't be too afraid to drink the uh, milk from a cow pat. Because we'd rather have a bowl of pats. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, uh, the the man's, uh, the very jealous husband, his sister hates the wife. So she tells her brother that uh, his wife is cheating, cheating on him with uh, this this wild man out in the woods that she and Suvna. Are sleeping together now uh, if you saw Sufna you couldn't believe for a second he was sleeping with anyone but your man is just that jealous and Aaron uh, wife Dal Cassian the Kennedy uh, arrives to the settlement of St. Mooling she's been searching for her husband now for about 50 years Mooling tells her where to find uh, Sufna at the set at the home of this man and his wife she arrives in her robes of state beautiful queen this little hut this little hovel to meet her husband for the first time after 50 years. Night sets in, the dusk is in the air, a few bats and a few swallows flitting around in the evening. Suvna arrives, he's his, first, his wife for the first time, 50 years. They gaze lovingly into one another's eyes, reach out to one another just to hold each other. When out from the chest of Suvna appears uh, a spear. The jealous husband has driven his spear through the chest. Suvna, he's dead because Saint Ronan after Suvna had broken his favourite bell had cursed Suvna to die in the same way that the bell had been broken and that is the, that is the story of um, Mad Sweeney, it's a, it's a tragedy obviously mm-hmm. um, it's got everything into the murder and love and the beauty of, of nature is that are you referring to King Sweeney and the Nip when you say that? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, who, who doesn't like to be naked in the wild? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, don't knock it till you've tried it. <laughs> and of course, very helpful otters. Do you know what? That seems to be a motif in um, Celtic 
Christian folklore of otters retrieving salters from oh, right. the uh, from bodies of water. Because it was the same with Saint Kevin. Saint Kevin became quite friendly with with an otter because for that very Don't reason. You say friendly. <laughs> Uh, a purely platonic friendship, as far as I'm aware. Uh, I, I think St. Kevin was, was praying down by the lake one day when he dropped his psalter into the uh, into the lake, That's and this friendly otter came and retrieved the psalter for him. And so, the, yeah, so they kind of started up a bit of a friendship. And then a new monk came to the monastery, and uh, he was down by the lake by himself one day, and he saw the otter. And he thought to himself, well, that looks like dinner. Mm. And so he tried to catch the otter and eat it. Now, the otter got away. And somehow, I'm not sure, but the otter communicated to Kevin what this new monk had done. And Kevin mm. lost his shit. He's like, <laughs> you, you don't mess with my otter, man. Mm. And uh, so I'm pretty sure that monk was, was, was swiftly banished from the monastery thereafter. Yeah. They had the king otter as well, which had various, uh, which had crosses in its fur, like a white cross on its belly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm just picturing a tiny little otter trying to gesture that somebody was trying to eat him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what exactly the medium of communication was there. For, uh, but... Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> he got the message across anyway. Did you see on the news there was this giant rodent scene in the canals? They thought it was a koi poo and it was all over the news. Report sightings of this koi poo because uh, it had come, come from, was it? South America? Yeah, originally from Peru, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it turns out it was actually just an otter. Oh, oh hey. Wow. Well, very I'm, anticlimactic. Uh, Dublin's become a very diverse place, and I think Dublin is all the better for being a diverse place. But uh, we're, we're so bad, at, uh, Irish people are so bad at knowing our own wildlife that it wouldn't surprise me that visitors to Dublin or people who have resided in Dublin for a number of years don't know that otters are a thing in Ireland. I've never seen one. I thought a guinea fowl was a horse. So, <laughs> I mean, case in point. Case in point. I've never seen a badger in real life. Only uh, pictures. Unfortunately, I see most badgers dead on the roads. I like it when they put in tunnels for them. I think having a badger tunnel is the best idea ever. Best um, thing since sliced bread. The farmers are, of course, their arch enemies because of tuberculosis. Because the farmers believe that the badgers were spreading tuberculosis to their cattle, or in actual fact, the badgers were getting tuberculosis from the from cattle. The reason the tuberculosis was spreading was that the farmers had taken out all of the ditches in the uh, in the eighties. I think there was this new wave in farming that there shouldn't be any hedgerows. Just cut out all of your hedgerows and amalgamate all of your fields. And all you really need to do to separate your cattle is a bit of wire, a length of rope or something. And then it never occurred to them that, oh, yeah, if the cow, if one get, cow gets sick and they're not separated by a field, it's going to pass. No, their main idea was it must be the badgers. The badgers mm. are doing it. Poor badgers. Is it Brian May? Is it, is it very um, of Queen mm-hmm. who enjoys the badgers? Who enjoys the badgers? <laughs> the same no. way that Kevin, that Kevin the and his otter. Um, yeah. I'm I'm not aware of, of Brian May's um, enjoyment of, of badgers, but no, he, very possibly, yeah. He, he assists the badgers. He has fun for them, or whatever. Okay. Uh, he, 
He just seems to be a multifaceted man. He looks kind of like a manager. Do you know what I was thinking of that when you said it? Yeah, and and I I totally concur. Yeah, yeah. Isn't he a qualified physicist as well? Is he? Yeah, I think I remember hearing something about that. He's a man of many hats. Do you know where you never see badgers? In a physics lab? (laughs) (laughs) Home and away. (laughs) They don't have badgers in Australia. Uh, marsupials <laughs> so you know no badgers in home and away they must have a curse or two in home and away home and oh away, yeah there's probably been a curse they've, they've had a cult so there's probably been a curse the curse of having to always come back the other thing is, that i found myself explaining to a, a customer recently is what a stoat is the we have stoats they're a slightly only a slightly bigger version of a weasel we have a few more weasels now because of normans but uh most mostly it's stoats here in ireland rather than weasels i did read earlier that apparently if you made a purse from a uh, weasel's skin that it would never be empty that it brought good luck we don't recommend that no don't go kill lots of weasels please Orange is a vegan, by the way. Veggie. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I like cheese way too much. So, um, Stoats, yeah. One of my favourite books as a child was uh, The Welkin Weasels, which is where a lot of weasels are being ruled by uh, Stoats. Mm-hmm. And I like the Stoats are the villains in the piece mm. because they're, they're bigger, so they're ruling over the weasels. And I liked it as a child, the little tiny Irish Republican in me thought it was lovely that the 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 big Irish notes were ruling over the the, the tiny weasels from the rest of the world. I've never heard of this show. No, it was a book. It was oh, a series book. of oh, children's books. I was picturing a cartoon. And that was part of a curse. the The humans, uh, the humans in the world, had been cursed to sleep. Until they had been woken up by uh, a brave, a brave soul, which was in the form of a tiny weasel. Mm. It was the Welkin <laughs> weasels. I'm telling you, they're great books. And I think on that note. <laughs> so I read a story earlier. Well, I'm trying to find out about curses. So not not an exact curse, but a, a strong power or a control over another person. So kind of like a curse and, and not for good. So there was a great king whose name I'm going to pronounce completely wrong. Merkertukt, Makerka, but we'll just call him the king for the rest of the story. And he came... called McCarthy's. That's where that comes from. Oh, really? Yeah. Paul McCarthy. <laughs> it was Paul McCarthy the king and <laughs> he came back from his hunting trip um, with a strange and beautiful woman and he was married with children at the time but he, he just brought her back she actually she appeared to him and his men while they were sitting around a hunting mound at Brew and so he, he brought her back she was very beautiful the men were just completely in awe of her and he brought her back to his house at Cletty and everybody well all the men were all just in awe of this woman so much so that the king that place name again ladies and gentlemen was Cletty Cletty C-L-E-T C-L-E-T E-T and um, <laughs> sorry I'm a child it's alright yeah. so the king he 
he eventually he cast his wife and his kids out of the house and he and all the on all of his men they were having a great time having a huge feast drinking loads of wine and um, this woman she could actually turn water into wine not just jesus this woman also had oh, this power nice. and so they were having great fun loads of free booze loads of food loads of parties and songs and he kicked his wife and his kids out didn't seem to care about them anymore because he was under the spell of this really beautiful woman yes it really was her fault by the sounds but yes. go on <laughs> um, well it was <laughs> I, I just let me just say we, I would never it's make this point terrible terrible man no but he, they were all under this power um, so the wife was kicked out she was obviously very upset that she just come home with some tramp and kicked her out of the house and her kids um, so she went to the local uh, clerics or clergyman and she complained about the treatment or no sorry it was to a hermit Kernock and he she complained about the treatment that her husband had given her so Kernock of course so and why to a, man to a hermit who uh, lives in a cave yeah. and spends Kids. 12 hours of his day at prayer he'll give you good relationship advice (laughs) for family advice so he goes out in front of the house at Cletty and he curses the king for his evil doing but that's not really the curse that's interesting it's actually this beautiful woman uh, Sheen so she's looking out from the ramparts with the king staring out and laughing at this attempt at a curse and she said look don't worry whatever curse this stupid clergyman or cleric puts on you I am here to protect you. I am way stronger than him. My magic is way stronger than his. There's nothing he can do to harm you. So he looks back at this beautiful woman before him. He's totally forgotten about his wife. He's just concerned about himself. And he thinks, okay, well, that's fine. She's gorgeous. She can turn water into wine. She can just... Water into wine. Yeah, it's Ireland. Booze, that's all we care. Um, so Win me over anyway. So he says, yeah, sure, great. I trust you. So he just got, well, are you, are you a human? You have magic. And she said, well, I am a human, but I can do all sorts of wonders that you'd never believe. I can turn the stones on the hills into herds of sheep. I can turn the ferns that grow around your house into fat swine for you to eat. So he says, well, look, can you can you do some of that now to help us out? So he invites or she invites, in fact, him and all his men to return back inside the house. She produces loads of wine. She turns all the ferns into an army of goblin type warriors or blue men then she turns a load of goats into another army but they still have their goat heads but warrior bodies and they're all battling it out in front of this house so that the men and the king are all trapped inside while this battle was going on outside feasting on the food and the wine from swines and stuff but this food because it's magic it has no nourishment at all. So the next morning, after all this food and drink, the men have no power. They're exhausted. They're waning. But there's still these battles going on with these animal-headed warriors outside that Sheen keeps producing. And this goes on for several days. And they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Until the night after All Saints Day, a Wednesday after All Saints Day, when a winter comes and she and she calls out the names of sigh, wind and winter, storm and grief and brings a huge storm. Winter has now come to Cletty and thunder and lightning flashed. It was very, very frightening and going back <laughs> to, to Queen and she made a great snowstorm come down, which covered the whole house, trapping them inside and the sleeping king. But he woke up in the middle of the night having a nightmare that there was fire all around him and that he was going to die. So he was 
freaking out in bed but she just poured him a little bit more of this magic wine just kind of roofied him and put him back <laughs> to sleep kept drugging him he wakes up a second time again freaking out having this nightmare and again she did a cardi b <laughs> who's that because she's a rapper um it recently came out that she used to uh, drug men and steal their money um <laughs> lovely Maybe it's We're getting too relevant now. <laughs> you asked, was there anything in the news? This is the news. So the, by the third time he wakes up, the house is now on fire. She's lit a fire in every single corner of the house. The men who weren't all being drugged continuously throughout the night, they've all fled. So it's just the king and she in, in the house. And he's running around trying to find some way to escape. But the window ledges the doors are all on fire there's leaves of fire you know just little bits of debris falling down around him almost catching his hair and clothes on fire and he sees Sheen and he begs her to help him she's magic but she just turns around and walks off with a cloak of invisibility around her to protect her from the fire and she she goes outside and she stands and watches the house burn until the fire is so hot that she can't even stand in front of it and just leaves him there and the king in an attempt to try and save himself because he can't find any way out of the house he climbs into one of these casks of wine but his head is set on fire and he drowns at the same time in the wine so he's said to drown and burn at the same time and he dies and the the clerics they've now forgiven him their curse was completely irrelevant anyway so they bury him his wife comes and she mourns at his graveside even though he'd kicked her out she mourns at his graveside until she dies from grief and then these clergymen or clerics they're they're standing there a couple of days later when this beautiful woman appears this beautiful long red hair a silver uh, fringe and a beautiful mantle that she's wearing and she appears before them and some of them can't even look at her because she's so beautiful that they'll think very evil thoughts that they're not allowed to think if they look at a beautiful woman but some of them they can't take their eyes off her and she's incredibly sad and incredibly lonely which just makes her all the more compelling and (laughs) and they ask her who she was and She explains that this king, when she was a child, had come to her land and killed her mother, killed her father, killed her sister, taken all the land from her people, um, from the old tribes of Tara. And she was a child when it happened, but she swore that she would get vengeance as she'd lost her entire family. So she grows up just hoping to get her vengeance and learning magic so that she can retaliate. Yeah, that's that's the revenge oh. of Sheen. It's very, very upsetting, really. So it was kind of her her fault in the end, but he should never have let this strange woman start to control him in the first place. Um, but then wow. <laughs> she died, and they uh, they also buried her there in the ground. What a, what an episode we we've had. <laughs> <laughs> Could I share one last story, actually, because oh, yeah. it's a story of a curse, and it is a story about a man who was buried in the graveyard adjoining this museum. Uh, for for anybody who doesn't know, our uh, our museum is is effectively attached to the former graveyard of St. Mary's Church, uh, the, the former church where Arthur Guinness got married and Theobald Wolfstone was christened and Sean O'Casey, the playwright, was christened. But also it was uh, the graveyard where Lord Norbury was was buried and Lord Norbury was a judge in Dublin. Mm. He was known as the hangman judge of Ireland because he sent more people to the gallows than any other judge of his time. 
he tended he, to fall asleep. Did he? At the, yeah, Daniel O'Connell had him removed, I think, later on. Right. In fact, I think this story might go towards explaining possibly why that was. Okay, right. And it's related to a curse. Right. Um, so, yeah, he, he was quite the colourful character in, in the courtroom, by all accounts. He, uh, he would often make little quips uh, about people's impending execution and that kind of thing. And he sentenced one young man to death for stealing a sheep, uh, which was, it was a capital offence at the time. But after the verdict, some evidence emerged which strongly, strongly suggested that this man was actually innocent of the crime. But Lord Norbury was a stubborn type and he wasn't going to go back on his verdict. So the man was hung as planned and the, the young man, he left behind a widow who understandably was heartbroken. She actually died shortly afterwards of a broken heart. But on her deathbed, she cried out and she cursed Lord Norbury. She said, Lord Norbury, may you never sleep soundly in your bed again. And uh, believe it or not, there are accounts that Lord Norbury did in fact develop insomnia. This was supposed to plague him for the rest of his life, perhaps is the reason for him nodding off mid-course. So yeah, curse. Or coincidence, you be the judge. Well, that was one hell of an episode we've had, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with all kinds of cur- curses. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, guys. Mm. Uh, and thanks, everyone, uh, for joining us, all your listeners out there. We really appreciate it. You can reach out to us as, at any stage uh, through uh, both our Twitter, uh, our Facebook, uh, email, and uh, you can, you, you'll find the various staff here as well uh, on various social platforms. Don't be afraid to follow and to ask questions. Ask us anything. Come to us with a, a question and put it in the box of magic, the box of questions. Thanks once very, very again for joining us.